Um, do you think that article's still online? That'd be fun to kind of check out. Can you send that to me if it is? Uh, yeah, I can look. Here's the article posted in the chat. Where did you post the link? I don't see it. In the Zencaster room. Slack? Or no? In, in, in Zencaster. On the Zencaster.com page. Oh. Oh, oh, sorry. What, that? That page? <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of this product. It's called Zencaster. <laughs> That's awesome. That conversation took place about six months ago. I was interviewing Josh Nielsen, the founder of Zencaster. I'm Sunny Galt. I'm a podcaster who's been using Zencaster since launch. And now I work for the company, which means Josh is my boss. And that article we're discussing is a TechCrunch article that introduced Zencaster to the world. It was a big moment, a milestone. But to understand why, I need to take you back to the beginning. That's really what this podcast is about. It's the story of how Zencaster was built. This is Digital Nomad. If you don't already use Zencaster, you may be wondering what it is. Zencaster is a tech company. Podcasters from all over the world use our platform to record high quality audio with their guests. That's what we're known for now, but that's changing. We recently launched Video Beta. Now you can record high definition video in addition to audio using only your browser. Josh launched the initial version of Zencaster back in 2015. I don't know if I had big aspirations at this moment as far as like the business and financial side. I've always, I think, gotten more energy just from thinking about how cool it would be to like be the first person to like make something new, you know, that didn't exist before that empowers people. What started as a one person operation has grown. At the time of this recording, there's 14 of us representing nine different countries. My name is Alex Cannon. Christian Jordanov. Kesh Magrimbau. Cyril Washkevich. My name is Len Matugas. Owen Falzon. Valeo Muha. Andrei Onel. Rui Figueiredo. Keep listening to these episodes. You'll meet all of us. We're a small team with big goals. We've all secretly imagined what it would be like to be part of a successful company from the ground up. I mean, who wouldn't want to be on the ground floor of an Apple, Google, or Amazon? Well, this is our shot. I don't know how the story ends, not yet, but I can tell you how the story of Zencaster came to be. It all started with a boy, someone you've already met, growing up in Denton, Texas, just outside of Dallas. What's, uh, what's Texas like? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> they sing a lot or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big place. I have really fond memories as a child. I had a what I would call an idyllic childhood. I'm the youngest of seven. My family was quite religious uh, growing up. So I, I actually grew up in a Mormon household. I don't know if I really believe in all that these days, but it certainly shaped a lot of who I am and um, I still kind of consider that my tribe, even though, uh, you know, I'm no longer active. Looking back, um, 
if you were to kind of look back at yourself as a child, how would you define your personality as a child? What characteristics would you use to describe yourself? I was, I was very shy. Yeah, I was the I was the little kid who would hide by hide behind the your parents' leg when they're trying to introduce you to their friends or something. Um, and I think a lot of it was just because I was I wasn't an only child, but it kind of felt like it, right? So I spent a lot of time entertaining myself by myself, and I think you know that's still a big part of who I am today. I I, I prefer a lot of alone time. I actually need. A decent amount of alone time or I just get exhausted by uh, all of that. And that's actually been one of the, the hard parts about growing Zencaster is I started it as a company to try and to kind of suit the type of person that I am. One of those things that I've kind of believed about myself is that I've not good at managing people and don't and being social and don't want to do those things. Right. Um, and so that's been a pretty tough transition for me is deciding to deciding to make the decision to grow the business. I think it's interesting how you you said growing up, you know, as a child, you did a lot of things on your own. And, and one would argue, I guess, depending on the work environment, that a lot of times as a coder or, you know, engineer, like you're in front of a computer and it is kind of a, a solo sport in a way. You've got team players. But have you ever made that? connection as far as, wow, this is why I feel comfortable doing what I do because, you know, this is kind of how I grew up. Oh yeah. I think certainly one of the, one of the best skills that I have is I've got no problem sitting on my butt for like 12 hours a day in front of a computer screen without, with little interaction. (laughs) (laughs) But there were times in Josh's life where he was forced to come out of his shell. Like the time he was hired for his first job at Papa Murphy's, a take-and-bake pizza shop. It was my first job in high school, and I just I remember being petrified when they tried to push me uh, away from just making the pizzas into like running the cash register because I was just like, ah, there's no way I could figure out how to run that thing because you know the people have been working there for a while just looked like geniuses on it, um, and <laughs> it's a stupid kind of a stupid story, but. Like that was one of the moments where I kind of realized that I was overblowing things in my mind, that I was personally kind of scaring myself and psyching myself out about things that were really kind of trivial. And so I still lean on that sometimes. I'm like, it's just like the cash register, man. You can do this. You got this. Josh was overcoming his shyness, but his newfound voice was also causing some problems. He started skipping school and eventually decided to leave Texas altogether. Yeah, strangely, I've when I was like 15, 16, my sophomore year, I moved to Idaho to live with family out there. I was there for three years before I got kicked out of that school. <laughs> Why did you get kicked out? It was such a stupid reason. Um, it was just me being belligerent. Not, not I wasn't like... Like I wasn't like causing that much problems. I would be like late to class. And then there was this one teacher who I just didn't, I guess I rubbed him the wrong way. And I think I was in the principal's office and I was getting a lecture from the principal about how in the real world, I'm not going to be successful because I'm always late and that's not acceptable. And, you know, if I want to be prepped for real life, I got to get that sorted out. And then this teacher who was 
who I didn't like and didn't like me, he walked into the room and he said something kind of snarky about my situation. I don't remember what it was, but I, was, I, I called him a in front of the, the principal. And yeah, they they took that pretty seriously, and they're like, "Okay, you know." Well, they told me I had to apologize to him, or else I was kicked out of school, and I wouldn't do it. So, almost felt like I was looking for a reason not to fit in to fit into the mold. I guess, yeah, I don't know why. At this point, Josh is 18, and if he wasn't going to go to school, his parents had another idea for setting him straight. Uh, I went on a mission. So I went back home to Texas and my, you know, my parents were very much like, it was, it was that time, right? When you turn 18, if you grow up Mormon, you got to go on a mission or you're supposed to. When you grow up Mormon, it's kind of seen as like your coming of age thing. Right. Like this is what turns you into a man. Um, and I think I was a little bit hopeful that if I could just go do that, that it would sort me out. Because I, you know, I, I realized that I wasn't, uh, I was kind of running against the grain. I got called to Oregon Eugene Mission. How, do, how does that work? Because I'm, I'm not as familiar. So when you say you get called, what, what does that mean? You basically let them know that you're ready and willing, and then they tell you where you go. And it could be pretty much anywhere in the world. But in this case, it happened to be right next door to Idaho, <laughs> where I just came from. <laughs> What does that entail? Like, what did you what did you do? Do they do they give you something that you're supposed to say? I mean, we've all had people visit our house, but what was your process? What just tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a little bit tough because I actually feel really conf- I still feel very conflicted about that whole experience. You know, I became aware that I was basically going out there and telling other people that, uh, you know they're wrong and I'm right and that they'd be happier if they were like me. Um, and just personally, that's not how I feel. (laughs) And so it was hard to kind of grapple with, you know, the requirements that you had out there, which was, you know, you're, you're out there to convert, you're out there to try and get more people to convert to the church. It's a, it's a sales job more or less. I think that's the first time in my life where I really set myself my mind to something and worked really hard and like finished it. Uh, you know, I stayed the whole two years. It was a great experience. I loved it. I would not do it again. (laughs) All right. So you got back from your missions trip and then did you, did you have a plan once you got back? I mean, did you kind of think that through? Cause you, you knew there was going to be an end to that at some point, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, the plan you're given is you're kind of supposed to go home, get back in school, get married, start a family, that kind of thing. Um, so that was kind of, I guess, broadly the mindset I was in. I ended up going to school in Utah um, just because my parents were living there and I could get uh, in-state tuition. And then what kind of classes were you taking when you were in college? My, my goal at that time was I wanted to do mechanical engineering. When I was in high school, the one thing that I like really did put a lot of effort into was the drafting class, and um, I used to do like state statewide competitions with that and stuff. So I always liked that part, like designing parts in 3D, and you know, it's similar to kind of to building applications in a way where you just have a set of constraints and you have to build something that you have to get kind of get creative to find something that a solution that 
meets all the needs. Once I found another option, which was, you know, f scratching that same itch through software development, um, and you could kind of skip through a lot of the math. That was a lot that, that became really interesting to me. Josh is beginning to develop a bit of a history of being a nomad, someone who goes from place to place. He started out in Texas, then Idaho, now Utah. And then a friend invites him to Hawaii for a wedding. I was kind of ready to leave that town anyway. And so I found out that I could do the same thing I had been doing in, at BYU and Provo, where you can take summer classes. You don't have to get accepted to the school to just go in and take some classes during the summer. Because I feel like you guys, you guys play this game. Yeah, dream. You're like, That's Brigham Young so University, Hawaii. Were, they let me put together my own major based mm -hmm. on, this is the benefit of a small school because I was like, I like the programming stuff, but you don't have any web design, any, any more of these web classes. So maybe you let me take some design and art classes along with some programming classes and we can call it like a web design program. Now, this is an important part in the story. Josh has a major and he needed to take some design classes, which included a watercolor class. And that's how Josh met Lucy, his wife. Now, we're going to get the story from Lucy's perspective because, let's face it, women are usually really good about remembering these kinds of details. Yeah, but we are now recording. This is my first time using Zencaster. Isn't that hysterical? Well, I'm, I'm so glad to be part of your first time <laughs> Zencaster experience. I'm familiar with the way it looks, but I've never actually... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so let's just start with how you met Josh. And, and he has told me, you know, this story of meeting in college and stuff. But I want to hear this from your perspective. So tell me how you guys met. Um, we, we were both at university in Hawaii. And then we had a class together. And he, I think, remembers meeting me before the class, but I'm not sure that I actually do. I just say like, yeah, I remember too. But because um, it seems like important to him that <laughs> we had already met. I'm like, yeah, that was special whenever that was. Um, but we were in a painting, a watercolor painting class together, which he was taking for the third time. Did he tell you this? No, I don't think so. Just opting into all, like he's, he was in college for like seven years, just taking classes that interested him, like watercolor painting. And he didn't seem to understand the concept of university, like what it was for. Um, <laughs> so we were in that class together and because we recognized each other, I guess, we sat beside each other. And it was my last semester, it was like the spring term, my last term at um, university and I was graduating at the end of that term. Okay, do you, do you remember your first date? I think we went to the beach because we were in, at university in Hawaii. So we would just go to the beach and nobody had any money. Yeah, so I think all dates were beach dates, essentially. She actually tried to dodge me, I think, on the first time around. I asked her if she wanted to go so to this one beach. And then she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. But then like... I don't remember exactly how it all played out, but it was just like, it took a but while. A and then when yeah, he was, he she did show up, she was with like five people. <laughs> and 
And uh, so I think, I, I don't know, I think, I think I, uh, I think it took her a little while to warm up to me, maybe. So when did it become more than that? We like fell in love very, very quickly. Like I think within weeks, because it was my last term at school. So, and, and also I'm from New Zealand and was not planning on staying in the States after um, university like if I did that I had to get a whole different visa and it was kind of complicated so it kind of put everything on an expedited timeline so I I feel like it was never not that serious I, I, I knew at this point in time in my life that I was didn't really fit into the mold of the whole Mormon thing and you know I, I also wasn't really interested in someone who was gonna make me fit into that mold? <laughs> Where are they? They were here last. <laughs> she was like a good match for me in that I think she has in the same headspace as I was around all the church stuff. She didn't take it all so seriously, but she also had the same experiences as me. She grew up, uh, you know, that way. She also had gone on a mission and done all this stuff. We kind of both transitioned away from all of that together. I think we've helped each other a lot through that. Coming up on Digital Nomad, things are about to get a little more complicated. Love always is, right? Hey guys, this is Josh Nielsen, the founder and CEO of Zencaster. Thanks for checking out our podcast, Digital Nomad, to learn more about the story of how Zencaster came to be. If you're a podcaster or planning to start a podcast, I'd love for you to go to Zencaster.com and learn how we can help you record your podcast. Zencaster now supports remote HD video recording as well as studio quality audio to make sure you look and sound great. We also help you mix your videos together so you can quickly and easily post your episodes online. We give you a 14 day trial on our pro account and our hobbyist account is completely free. And now back to Digital Nomad. Okay, back to our lovebirds, Josh and Lucy. Lucy is now graduating from Brigham Young University in Hawaii with a degree in fine arts. Josh is taking classes, but Lucy's visa is now up. She plans to go to Vermont and work for her brother, Mike, who, by the way, also works for Zencaster now. Okie dokie. Is okie dokie, is that the uh, official lead-in to all Zencaster? <laughs> Podcasts? It is. Well, now it is. Actually, I'm I'm gonna edit all this stuff up. <laughs> no, keep keep the okie dokie. I think I think that should be Zancaster's new lead in. So, were you surprised when your sister started dating Josh? I mean, what did you think? Josh was very different to my sister's previous boyfriends in that he was not like a super bad boy artist kind of person. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> he was just like a very nice guy. Mm -hmm. And we were all originally thinking, oh, yes, that's not going to last because that's not her type. <laughs> the ER domain. <laughs> oh, she was so out there for weeks maybe and then I came out, they live in this little town, Windsor, Vermont. Mm -hmm. It's literally just like, there's like a little train station that's turned into a restaurant and then a bunch of houses kind of 
up and down the road. But um, so there, she was working at this restaurant at the train station. Tell me about the proposal. How do you do it? Well, he had this big plan, um, apparently. So he was in Vermont for like a week to visit. And the plan, I, I think his plan was that he was going to propose during that time. And he had bought this ring that I had um, fallen in love with, like an antique ring. But we were on this deadline. And Chris, um, my brother's wife, Chris was pregnant and The day before Josh was leaving, when he was planning on proposing, she went into labor. I'm not proud of this story because I was supposed to have some help from her family to like prepare the scene and all this stuff. But and, you know, suddenly, you know, that's obviously top priority. I went and bought a bunch of pizzas um, to feed everyone. And he we just got a pizza and went for a walk around the lake behind Mike's house and and we just like sat with pizza <laughs> by the lake and he was like I did have something planned for this all we had was like was leftover pizza and some diet coke for the picnic so yeah yeah it was <laughs> Yeah, I always know the anniversary of that because it's their their son Lars' birthday and how old he is. So pizza and Diet Coke save the day. Josh and Lucy are now engaged. Lucy gets a new visa and follows Josh back to Hawaii so he can continue his classes. But time is ticking. Yeah, I think after we got engaged... And then he went back to Hawaii and I was still in Vermont for, I think, maybe six weeks or something. And I think when he got back to Hawaii, he was like, this feels fast. Um, And I just I hadn't really thought that much about it, I guess. It just seemed normal. Like initially we were planning on getting married kind of by the end of that year. And we were coming from like a super religious situation where that was very normal. If you're Mormon, you got to get married. When you, when you get married, you have to go get married in the Mormon temple and you can't go into the Mormon temple if you're not keeping all the rules. And so you get stuck in these situations where um, you're like trying to get married, but you can't. So it's like a thing, if you get married outside of the temple, then it's kind of a statement against the the religion and it's a little bit of, yeah, there's like shame attached to it and all this stuff. And so that I think took its toll, you know, because Lucy and I ended up being engaged for a long time before we actually got married because she had kept having to leave the country and then I had left and had to go to LA and then she had to go to New Zealand and, um, and we couldn't live in the same place legally unless we got married. But then we had this whole religion problem. And now you know why this series is called Digital Nomad. There's a lot of moving back and forth for Josh in those early days. And that ability to be flexible despite life's challenges, to live and work wherever you want, is critical to the history of Zencaster and to the story that is yet to be told. Coming up on the next episode of Digital Nomad. 
a buddy of mine told me that he knew of a company that was hiring called Mahalo. You should apply. I convinced him to, to call into this live podcast show, and like hustle a job out of it. I would have married him at any point, but then the longer we were together not getting married, the more complicated it became. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about this. This guy's kind of a flake. I have like an innate appetite for risk that's maybe a little bit bigger than most people. There's probably some form of therapy that would help me. Yeah.